that. We left the house too late and it was very foggy on our way here and Becky felt like she had to stop at Panera Bread for a cinnamon crunch bagel. Actually, it was me who felt like we had to stop. But it's Mother's Day. So I need to catch my breath before we go on. Lance, would you mind praying for us as we get started? Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given to us, the moisture that we so need, and uh, it's just a reminder of how you sustain us all the time, and we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that uh, we're here today and together as believers, and we thank you, God, for all those that are preparing to teach today, and we we pray that you will inspire them to um, say the things that we need to hear and and the things that you want us to, to know and understand. We just thank you, God, for this time together, and uh, all that you do for us. These things we pray through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lance. All right. We are talking about the church of our dreams. And just a quick review. This is where we have come so far. Last week we talked about the fact that we are painting a picture or a vision of the church that is so high and lofty that we may feel that we are not able to reach that level. So it's important for us to pause and remember that the church of our dreams has faith in God, that we are relying upon God and depending upon Him. And we trust that He, through His Spirit, will make us into the kind of people that He really wants us to be. Still, these are some goals that we can stretch toward and pray that God will help us to reach them because we want to be the kind of people He wants us to be and we want to be a glory to Him. I uh, want to talk for 25 minutes or so if you'll let me and then uh, I'll give you 15 minutes or so to join the conversation at the end of class. I want to talk a little bit about our roots as we get started today. Uh, you know, uh, churches of Christ have roots in the American Restoration Movement, which began in the late 1700s and the early 1800s. And you may have heard of names like uh, Barton W. Stone and Thomas and Alexander Campbell and many, many others who came to this country in search of religious freedom and the freedom to study the Bible for themselves and to not be bound by any religious creeds. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud of my heritage, my religious heritage. I imagine that you are too. Uh, the fact that we have roots in, in that movement. Uh, my, my, uh, I was raised in the church, I may have told you this before, which is both a blessing and a curse. Uh, a blessing in that uh, I went to Bible classes from my youth and my parents were faithful Christians and they modeled for me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. But a curse in that maybe I don't appreciate my salvation as much as some people do. But I appreciate my heritage very, very much. Uh, one thing that I appreciate about our heritage is that we try to follow the scriptures. 
And that, of course, is very important because we need guidance from God and we believe scriptures provide us that guidance. Uh, I have said before, and I have heard it said before, that if I were to find a church that were closer to the scriptures than where I was now, I would change. Have you ever heard that statement before? I, I would hope that all of us would be willing to do that because because we're not loyal to any particular uh, fellowship or denomination. We're, our loyalty is to God. And we want to try to follow Him as best we can. And perhaps there have been some who left us because they thought they could find a church that was closer to Scripture than where they were. I don't know. But I, I, like, I like the fact that, that our heritage is one that emphasizes the search for truth, and people who are engaged in an inquiry of truth. Uh, I certainly want to be a part of a church that is Bible-based, don't you? I don't believe one church is as good as another. I don't believe that, because I believe some churches probably follow the Scriptures more closely than others do. doesn't mean I'm going to condemn them or judge them. I'm not in that position. It just means that I want to try to follow scriptures as best I can. Uh, I want to talk more about, about our heritage and a couple of reasons why I'm grateful for our heritage. First of all, I'm grateful because we have been and are a people of the book, the Bible. We, we believe it's important to have a thus saith the Lord. Is there any word from the Lord? That's what we want to hear. It's important that we view the Bible as our authority and as our guide for religious faith and practice. And my prayer is that we will always be people of the book. I'm also grateful that we have not been bound to inflexible creeds and human opinions, but instead that we have remained open to a change in perspective if we find that change warranted by the Bible. I appreciate that about our heritage. I remember very well when I was in high school and uh, trying to uh, influence some of my friends to become followers of Jesus. My parents would stress to me that they hoped that I would be willing to change if others were to show me evidence in the Bible that change was called for. I especially owe a lot to my father. Uh, my father uh, has, has always been a person who was uh, open to truth and to considering new ideas. And I appreciate about that about him. And, and I've had college professors and I've had preachers whom I respected and admired who also took this position. If, if someone gives you evidence to change your perspective, I hope you'll consider changing your perspective. And, you know, many in the early years of the Restoration Movement shared this very same attitude, this openness to change, that my father and college professors and others uh, tried to ingrain in me. Here's a quotation I want us to think about. John Rogers was a preacher for the church in Carlisle, Kentucky. And this is what he wrote in 1830. The fatal error of all reformers has been that they have too hastily concluded uh, 
that they knew the whole truth. We have no reason to conclude we know all the truth. We have nothing to lose in this inquiry after truth. We have no system to bind us to human opinion. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Quite a statement. We don't want to too hastily conclude that we know all the truth. And you hear in that statement this inquiry after truth, this openness to change, this freedom to think and to consider the opinions of others. Uh, When I was a very young preacher in my 20s, the former preacher uh, was a member of that congregation and stayed there when I came, when Becky and I came. And uh, he was also one of the college professors at Oklahoma Christian. And he used to always take notes during my sermons. And one day I asked him why he took notes during my sermons. And he said, well, I've learned that I can learn something from anyone. (laughs) I wasn't sure how to take that. But over the years, and after my association with him, I, I knew more about what he meant by that. He attended Southwestern Baptist Seminary and got his doctorate there. And he would often talk in classes about things he learned from the Baptist church. And he would talk about things he had read from Catholic authors. And so when he said, I have learned that I can learn something from anyone, that's this sentiment right here. I'm open to change. I'm open to learning. Uh, Another quotation here from Alexander Campbell. I hope you can read that. It may be too faint. That's not too bad, huh? I have been so long disciplined in the school of free inquiry. Let's stop right there. The school of free inquiry. Boy, I like that thought, don't you? Give us the freedom to think and to inquire and to search after truth and let us not be bound by traditions or human opinions. Okay. I have been so long disciplined in the school of free inquiry that if I know my mind, there is not a man upon the earth whose authority can influence me any farther than he comes with the authority of evidence, reason, and truth. I have endeavored to read the Scriptures as though no one had read them before me, and I am as much on my guard against reading them today through the medium of my own views yesterday or a week ago as I am against being influenced by any foreign name, authority, or system, whatever. What a fascinating statement. To endeavor to read the Scriptures as no one has read them before. I'm not sure that's possible, but it's an intriguing goal. And then this goal, I want to read the Scriptures without being influenced by how I used to read them yesterday. Or how I read them decades ago. I'm not sure that's possible. I'm not sure that's even advisable. But you you hear the sentiment behind it. I want to approach scriptures with a fresh viewpoint. I always want to be open to what God is trying to say to me through that book. So what I'm trying to show here is that uh, our roots are in the restoration movement. And some of the principles upon which our movement uh, was founded include freedom to search the Scriptures, 
openness to change, not being bound by certain creeds. All of those ideas are wrapped up in our movement. You say, Carrie, where are you going with this? Well, I'll tell you here in just a minute. Creeds. This is one thing that I appreciate about our fellowship is that we have been against written creeds. Of course, the problem with creeds is in the fact that they what? They tend to codify truth. They tend to shut off any further need to search for further light on a given topic. That would be the danger of creeds. So the truth of the founder's principle that we reject creeds was nothing more than an affirmation of the right to search for truth. I want to be free to search for truth. And I don't want to be bound by some codified text that tells me already what the truth is. My text is the scriptures. That's where I go to find the truth. So that would be the danger, I think, in in human creeds. I hope that what you're hearing so far is the need for humility. And when we approach the scriptures... We approach the scriptures as humble, teachable students who may not know all of the truth, who may not yet have arrived at a knowledge of the truth, and who may be wrong about what we thought that scripture said or meant. A humility. And the fact is that if we imagine that there is no longer any reason to search for truth, if we think that we've already arrived, then we have at that point turned our back on the very restoration heritage that we claim to embrace. So we approach Scripture with humility. Here's the point that I want to bring about today, that the church of our dreams is open to change. We are open to change. And I want to go in a couple of different directions here. Uh, which may carry us over into next week if I run out of time, and it sure looks like I will. The church of our dreams is open to change. First of all, she's open to change if she finds that change warranted by the Scriptures. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Some of you have been Christians for decades. Uh, Have you ever found... uh, Did you ever study a scripture on your own and come to a conviction on what a scripture meant? Only to change your perspective of what that scripture meant 10, 20, 15 years later? Have you ever ever experienced change like that? Or did you at one point understand scripture this way and then you've always believed it that way? You've always accepted it that way? I think most of us would probably say we have changed over the years. Uh, I have been a Christian for 50 years. And thankfully, I have changed over that time. I have grown, I feel like. And I, I feel like I've been shown new insights that have helped to mature me. Uh, Becky and I uh, met at Oklahoma Christian College when it was still Oklahoma Christian College, back in the dark ages, I had to, I had to write papers on a Smith Corona manual typewriter. Some of you don't even know what a typewriter is or looks like, probably. 
but uh, you know, Oklahoma Christian, back in the dark ages, I'm talking about the 70s. <laughs> did you know they had a policy that girls could only wear dresses, they couldn't wear pants? And uh, I'm sure that any, any of the ladies who tried to walk from the married student apartments across Benson over to the campus when that cold Oklahoma wind was blowing, now appreciate the change in that policy. Oh, cold. Uh, the school used to have the policy that you couldn't show any uh, public affection. No PDA. And uh, I love the story one of my mentors once told. said he was in the teacher's lounge and he saw a, a student, a male and female student, walking across campus holding hands. And one of the stricter uh, professors looked at them and said, look at what they're doing. Don't they know the school policy against PDA? And my mentor and a college professor said to that man, well, maybe they're married. (laughs) I like that story for some reason. Maybe they're married. But thankfully, I mean, I don't know that they still have that policy on the books. I doubt that they do change. When we talk about change, you know, we're talking about something that's part of life in every area of life. You know, I looked in the mirror this morning and I was amazed at how quickly my hairline is receding. And I've got a bald spot back here on the back of my head that is growing. And some of you know what I'm talking about, don't you, bud? Uh, We are changing. (laughs) Life is all about change. But why is it that in the church we are so reluctant to change when change is all around us in every other area of life? That's the question I'll ask for us to discuss in about 12 minutes. Why are we so hesitant to change? Why is change so difficult in the church? You might be thinking about that. But anyway, I told you I I, uh, met Becky at Oklahoma Christian and... uh, that was a pivotal time in my life for sure. Uh, I, I met a college professor and a mentor who was very important in my life. Uh, and, and interestingly, he, he and uh, one of my mentors is Raymond Kelsey, who, who was a Bible teacher there. And another one of my mentors was Hugo McCord. But Hugo, Hugo McCord and Raymond Kelsey oftentimes disagreed on what the scriptures taught and how they would apply it. They used to have an annual lectureship. And uh, the highlight of the lectureship was the open forum. And the teachers in the Bible department would answer questions in the open forum. And there was always disagreement between Hugo McCord and Raymond Kelsey. Hugo McCord tended to take the more conservative, traditional approach. And Raymond Kelsey was a little bit more progressive, but still conservative himself. Uh, but they had fun with it, and they continued to love each other and disagree. And the only reason I mention that is because I think we need to understand, once again, that good, spiritual, faithful men have disagreed about the meaning of certain scriptures. Again, humility, the need for, for humility. Anyway, uh, have you ever changed? Have you changed your perspective on what Scripture means. There are some things that I have not changed on in 50 years. 
I have not changed what I believe the Bible teaches on the subjects of baptism, uh, on the subject of the identity of Jesus, on the subject of instrumental music and worship. I've not changed in those areas. But there are areas where I have changed my perspective. Maybe you have too. When I was in my 20s, well, let me back up. This is just becoming an autobiographical class. That's okay, isn't it? I hope so. I, anyway, went to Oklahoma Christian, and uh, the church where we were worshiping, Wils- the Wilshire Church of Christ was looking for a youth minister. So I applied for the position, and I became the part-time youth minister. Actually, Becky and I became the part-time youth ministers. We were engaged at the time. You know, they paid me $25 a week for that job. That's right. I used to walk through... Two feet of snow, miles and miles to get to school. Anyway, I won't forget going to the first elders meeting when they hired us. And Sam Hendricks was one of the elders of that church, and he had five daughters. And we were engaged, and he said to us, well, I just have this request of you. I don't want you showing any public affection. No PDA when you're with the young people. Well, he had five daughters, and... Three of them may have been in the youth group. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh, after, after graduating from Oklahoma Christian, we moved to Connecticut to help plant an, a New Testament church. And then Raymond Kelsey resigned as the preacher of the Wilshire Church. And they called and said, would you come back and preach? And so we said, sure. So I came back to the Wilshire Church. We came back and, and I started to preach for that church with Raymond Kelsey sitting in the pews. That was very challenging, I, I can assure you. Anyway, one Sunday, I had this terrible idea of preaching on 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 and the role of women. I was in my 20s. What did I know about any of that? But I was convinced that Paul meant what he said in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And I went to town on that text. I I think it's wrong for Christian ladies to have authority over men. And after church, I learned that Anna Wilson took offense to that sermon of mine. Now, Anna was the wife of our campus minister. Her husband was also a teacher at Oklahoma Christian. And she was the chair of the English department at a community college in Oklahoma City. And she thought I was telling her, and I was that she shouldn't be chair of that department. What was I thinking? Well, she didn't come to me and tell me that. I wish she had, although it would have been a real blow to my self-image, I'm sure. She went to Raymond Kelsey and complained to him and couldn't believe that I said such a thing from the pulpit. And Raymond came to me and helped to straighten me out on 1st chapter 2 and verse 12. He said, Carrie, I don't know that that's talking about a woman having authority out in the business world or out, outside of the church. Well, I've come to change my perspective on 1 Timothy chapter 2 since, since then. You know, 1, Timothy, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34 says, Paul says, Paul says uh, I, I, I want the women to remain silent in the church. If they have anything they want to say, they need to go ask a question, go talk to their husbands at home. And I thought once upon a time that that verse meant exactly what it says. That in the assembly, women are to keep quiet. Until someone down the road showed me that in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul allows women to pray and prophesy in the assembly 
as long as their heads are covered. So that must not be an absolute prohibition of speaking. Chapter 14, verse 34. He must not be prescribing absolute silence for women in that text. Because earlier he said they could pray and prophesy as long as their heads are covered. And then not too long later, someone started talking to me about the occasional nature of New Testament epistles. And I had not thought about that before. It was a new insight that the authors of the New Testament epistles addressed specific occasions in their writing. They are writing to a specific occasion. So the problem in 1 Corinthians 14 might be that there were women in the church in Corinth who were piping up in the assembly and disrupting the assembly. So Paul says, you disruptors need to be quiet in the assembly. If you have a question, go ask your husbands at home, but don't disrupt the assembly. But he's not prohibiting them from speaking in the assembly. My point here is that I've changed my view on what the scriptures teach on the role of women. I think the scriptures give women a much wider role in the church than what I originally thought. Now, by the way, you might disagree with me on this or any other topic that we're discussing. And that's okay. Because these are disputable matters. And there have, been, there have been good Bible scholars over the years who have disagreed about these texts. And we want to be a church that is open to change, to seeing things differently, to studying scriptures for ourselves. So if you disagree, it's okay. I'm just telling you that I have changed over the years in some ways, and I suspect that you have too. And that's probably a sign of growth. By the way, I could be wrong about the way I view certain texts. Uh, You could be wrong too. But I could be wrong. I hope that I'm always going to be open to new insights and seeing things from a different perspective. I hope that I am. I need to be. I think we need to be. Okay. We want to be a church that is open to change when change is warranted by Scripture. Number two. We want to be open to change for the sake of the spread of the gospel. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time. Uh, I've got about one minute. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, 8 and 9. And let's, let's hurriedly go through that. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul, is it okay for us to eat meat offered to idols? Well... It's okay for you to eat meat offered to idols, but you need to consider the needs of your weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. You may have the right to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols, but you should be willing to waive that right for the sake of your brothers and sisters who don't share that same understanding of meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Chapter 9. Hey, Paul says, I've got the right to accept money from the church for my ministry. But I've decided to waive that right. I've got the right to take a wife. But I've decided to waive that right. To forfeit those rights. Why are you doing this, Paul? Verse 19. Though I am free. 9 verse 19. Though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all. So that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. In order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. 
though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so that I might win those outside the law. A lot of parentheses there. Paul says, I'm changing so that I might win people who are either in or outside the law. Now look at verse 22. To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Why, Paul? That I might by all means save some. Paul has this magnificent obsession. He wants to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, if that means that I need to start acting like a Gentile, I will. To a Jewish audience, I'll act like a Jew. I want to win people to Christ. And by the way, what a change it must have been for Jewish Christians to accept Gentile Christians into the family and to put their feet under the same table and eat with them. What a change that must have represented. How difficult that must have been for them to make those changes. But Paul says, I'm willing to make some changes for the sake of the gospel. I'm not ready to quit just yet. But I need to. We'll come back to this next week. Uh, I want to talk next week. My point here is that we need to be willing to change some of our preferences and traditions. Not compromising our convictions at all. But we need to be a people who are willing to change the way we do things in order to win people to Christ. In order to adapt to the culture. Culture, by the way, is not a dirty word. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more next week, too. But, well, that's where we're headed next week, I guess. I've got, we've got uh, two more classes, and I've got three topics that I want us to discuss. So, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but I'm not ready to say, close the door on this. So, we'll, we'll come back to this next week. Now, uh, I've left you 12 minutes for you to weigh in and... Uh, Join the conversation. And again, I'd like for you to discuss, if, if you're willing, why it's so difficult for us to change, period, in the church. Why is it difficult for us to accept change? But, of course, you can talk about whatever you want to. You can talk about cinnamon crunch bagels at Panera Bread if you want to, whatever. <laughs> Comments or questions? Let me hear from you. Carla, I need to get you a microphone. Let's see if... Melinda's got one for us. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you. Thanks. A couple of things came to my mind when you asked that question. And one, the first thing was, you know, so we simply just get set in our ways and we're afraid to change. Um, the other thing that came to my mind was, well, if we change this, people are just going to go crazy oh, yeah. and want to change everything. Mm-hmm. And some of those everythings might not be the best things. Yes. We open the door to this change, then what are we opening the door to some other change? Good. Slippery slope thinking. which has some legitimacy. Part of it <clears throat> part of it has to do with God created in us the is part of our human nature that we resist change. We don't like when things change around us. But we have to work towards towards accepting change. 
Part of our human nature, you think? Yes. I don't know you. What's your name? Robert Poland. Robert Poland. Susan. Okay. Good to meet you. I'm Carrie. Uh, yeah, we, we certainly do resist change. We, we do, don't we? I guess we're more comfortable uh, when things remain the same. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Lance? So I'm going <clears> to <throat> climb on the Oklahoma Christian College thing. So we got engaged in 1980, and we, that's where I met Christy. Oh. And we actually got wrote up for PDA the night that I proposed to her, so... She, had, she put her hand on my knee and oh boy, got in trouble. But it was funny because she got sent to the dean of women only to find out that that was her second cousin. So it worked out pretty well. <laughs> True story. But anyway, um, I think a lot of times... Um, we weren't doing anything. No. No, you weren't doing anything. No, we were sitting there watching TV and she put her hand on my knee. But anyway, well, I'll tell you all about it later if you want to hear it. But, um, anyway, it was... Um, I, I think that a lot of times we don't develop our own faith. We, especially if we grow, maybe grow up around the church and, and, or a church, and we tend to hear things, and, well, that's the way we believe. And I know that was the case in my situation. I, I kind of had my parents' faith. Mm. I was taught as I grew up, and as I got older and started realizing I need to study more. I need to really read these scriptures and see what they say, see what they say to me. And uh, all of a sudden, I started developing my own faith through my study. And even since I've done that, I've changed, right? And and so I think a lot of times that's what can prevent us from actually being able to change our mind is we don't really understand things from the get-go. We just accept things that we've heard. Good, Lance. Kathy? I could add on to the OC story, but we probably don't have time for that. But, yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, I I think uh, fear of not having the truth, not following the truth, is something, is a stumbling block to change. You know, we're afraid that, well, what if this isn't, pleasing to God, what if this isn't the right thing, you know, because um, though I love the things that you mentioned, I think my heritage in the Church of Christ had a little bit more of a tight-fisted thing regarding truth and thinking that we did hold all the truth and that it is not a dynamic thing um, that changes with culture or times or circumstances or context. So I think a fear of doing it wrong, I think, is, is a huge obstacle. Um, and Jesus came to set us free. You know, and Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians here that, you know, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? You know, and we are free. We are so free. Um, if we can just embrace that. And I'm... Yes. I'm talking to myself here. It's good, good words for all of us. Go to Nicole, then over here to Shelley. Um, my heritage is totally different. I wasn't raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that when I studied the Bible with people, that they encouraged was what it says in Acts 17, verse um, 
11. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what, what Paul said was true. And it was, don't take our word for it, study it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you see something that we're not doing right, talk to us. Mm-hmm. So it was encouraged to see change. It was, nobody claimed to have it all right. And it, it was an openness to that's, change. That's good. So I don't have the same background. You can't relate to me then, can you? No. Um, I think that the opposite can be true, too, that sometimes when we're people who are open to change, we can get very frustrated with people who aren't and that we need to be careful mm-hmm. with that. I know there was a gentleman that attended Metal Ark, um, and I would get so frustrated with him because I saw him as rigid and somebody who wasn't open to change. And then one Wednesday night, he shared his story um, and I mean, it brought me to my knees because all of a sudden I realized that the reason that he, that, that a certain way was so important to him is because in his life he had had complete chaos as a young child and that then his mother remarried and, um, and this, the man that she married was a very rigid man and that those, that structure for him and that, um, kind of how this man showed him faith was so important to him because of this chaos that he had before that. And it completely changed how I saw him and what, why he was the way he was. It was because that um, structure meant everything to what brought him out of that chaos. And it was God and the structure of God that brought him out of that chaos in life. And so... It was an eye-opener for me that sometimes getting to know why that person stays there is so important. And that's why in the church it's so important for us to know each other because it helps us see why some people are open to change and why some people, that's scary for them. Um, So I just say that to say, I mean, it was convicting to me, and it's still convicting to me because I still get frustrated sometimes when... I feel like either I'm stuck or somebody else is stuck, but sometimes that structure is important for people. Yes, and the need to extend grace to each other, to those who want to change and to those who don't feel the need. We need to extend grace to each other. Other comments, questions? Thing you'd like to say here? If you want to give me back five minutes, I'll take it, but... I'll certainly let you join the conversation if you wish. But can you let me get this to you. So, Carrie, you probably heard it said that <clears throat> what you don't know won't hurt you. Yes. So, I have an OC story. <laughs> um I had, I've only, I only went to OC after I graduated from another college to, as many of you know, to study the Bible more and ultimately to find a wife, which I managed to do both. And uh, when I say what you don't know won't hurt you, um, after I had 
taken Jana from her workplace. She was the secretary for the dean of admissions to lunch. And when I returned her in the back door, I did not know about this rule that you just spoke of. And uh, when I decided to kiss her, um, I looked down immediately at the concrete. And, of course, you know that soil in Oklahoma that moves all over the place. I noticed a big crack in the sidewalk. And I blamed it on what we had just experienced. (laughs) So, um, thankfully, I did not know about that rule. Now, I'll go on to say what I really was wanting to say was, um, in regard to the church, my background was I grew up Catholic. And when I began to seek the scriptures and learn the truth, uh, once I um, was baptized and became a Christian, it was very clear to me that... uh, the scriptures who led me to the Savior immediately got put on the shelf, and then I was led to the church. And it, to the extent that the church became paramount in my mind over the Savior, and that always uh, confused me. And what I would end this with is say that as long as the church today continues to keep its focus on the Savior, those changes that you speak of, I think, will be well-received, and people will benefit for having kept their eye on the Savior. Not that the church is not important, but it is not as important as the Savior. Thank you, bud. Clock on the wall says we're out of time. One more comment. Please. Don't don't try to keep it short. Just give us your Pretty mind short. here. Is that short enough? All right. Already. I have observed that the problems with many churches with change comes down to a twofold situation that they do not distinguish between optional expediencies and direct commands of the Bible. And many times they take an expediency and turn it into a law, a rigid law, and causes a lot of friction. That's short, I call it. That's a good point, Philip. Very good point. Well, see, this, this study could be a whole class or two, a whole quarter or two, couldn't it? It's, uh, it's deep and rich. Let's pray to God, then we're going to worship together. Father, thank you so much for your word for the guidance it provides. Thank you for your love of us. Please look into our hearts and see that we are trying our best to please you and serve you. Uh, We're trying to follow your will as best we can. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy. And we certainly pray that you would grow us to the point that we extend that same kind of grace and mercy to others around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.